Well, some of you, of course, have um, seen that photo already. And um, Ancient David made the announcement officially late yesterday afternoon. And of course, um, last, last week, our discussion topic was on the God of the New. In Revelation chapter 21, right at the end of the Bible, God says of himself, Behold, I make all things new. And I suppose for us, it had a poignancy to it uh, during this week, of course, when little Evangeline Lily Grace was born a couple of weeks um, before her due date. But uh, nevertheless, we're so grateful. And uh, as Janetta said, that the birth was a little bit difficult for Ainsley. And in the end, she had a caesarean. But uh, little Evangeline is with us and undoubtedly uh, will win the hearts of many over the next few days, weeks and years. As I said right at the beginning of our time together this morning, Ancient David have got the best excuse ever for not being here uh, today. Um, yeah, he's a bit happy, isn't he? <laughs> he's a little bit happy. <laughs> so um, they've got quite a testimony, and uh, we won't share too much of that today. But, but even as they went into... Um, theatre for the caesarean David said is there a chaplain we want to pray and uh, the doctor was there of course and the, the, um, the nurses were there and they said well what religion are you <laughs> and of course David said well we're Pentecostal well it turned out that there was a chaplain on duty who was charismatic <laughs> the doctor said yeah well I'm a Christian too the nurse said yeah well I'm a Christian too so they had a little Christian party <laughs> before she went into the, into the um, operating theatre. So, you know, God looked after them because obviously we couldn't be uh, present as, as uh, Ainsley's parents. But he surrounded them by people whose faith was in Jesus Christ. And isn't that, isn't that a precious testimony? And uh, we, we will leave it for them in due course to share a lot more of, of their testimony. But we're hopeful that they might, in fact, be home today. We don't know for sure. Um, but if they are, we thought we might go around and have a cup of tea for some reason or other. <laughs> so um, we're looking forward to seeing the baby. And as Jeanette said, her name, Evangeline, means the bearer of good news. Lily, of course, means peace. And Grace means favour. So lovely choice of, of name. Anyway, let's uh, move into our discussion point uh, for today. I promise I, I won't sing during my discussion point. I'll just speak. I, I hope that's a little bit better than the, the singing, but praise God anyway, because it says in his word, don't sing with the best voice in the world, but it says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I think somehow or other it gets filtered on its way to heaven and sounds pretty good to him. To, uh, today I want to talk a little bit about the place of God's provision and I'm following up really on last week when we focused on God being the God of the new, not necessarily just the new year, but the God of new beginnings, the God of new things, the God of recreation. And I want to talk a little bit today about the notion of the place of God's provision. And I do want to read to you from Genesis, way back in Genesis, chapter 22. And uh, some of you will know that this is the story 
of Abraham responding to God when God asks him to make a sacrifice of his son Isaac. I'm going to read to you from verses 1 to 14 of Genesis chapter 22. And just before I do that, I just want to check that I've got this recording, so just bear with me for a moment. Yes, everything's going perfectly. Sorry about that. Um, I do want to record these for, for various people to listen to them. Now it came to pass, this is chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 1 to 14. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he, that's God, said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, this is a bit unusual because although other societies did practice child sacrifice, here was God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, Abraham knew all about sacrifices because he was one of the first to be engaged in sacrifices in relation to the Lord. But here we have God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So Abraham, believe it or not, actually obeyed. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about the outrageous requests of God to Mary to become the mother of Jesus Christ. She was to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. We talked about the outrageous uh, request of God to Joseph to actually accept Mary, not to divorce her during the period of betrothal because as soon as it became apparent that she was pregnant, everybody would know, and under the law, they would have expected Joseph to divorce her because she wouldn't be a virgin at the time they married. Joseph was a righteous man according to the Bible, which meant he lived his life according to the law of God. So, Mary was asked to do virtually what was impossible. Joseph was asked to do what was impossible and they both submitted to God. He reassured them, they obeyed and of course there was blessing all round. But this request by God of Abraham seems to be even more outrageous than him asking Mary to bear his son by the Holy Spirit or asking Joseph to ignore what the law said and accept Mary. Here we have the God who loves life, and a little later on, of course, uh, through Moses, issued the Ten Commandments, which made it very, very clear that child sacrifice was off the agenda totally in Christian society or in, in uh, Israel. But Abraham 
obeyed God anyway. It says in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men, they were his servants, with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, you know, we just read this. It's words on a piece of paper. But can you imagine doing something like this? I know I was looking on, on YouTube at, uh, docu- at, at um, um, videos of, of this, this incident and in the end I decided I wouldn't play any of them here because I don't really think they do justice to the text. And I will explain shortly why it is I believe that Abraham was able to go ahead and obey God in the way in which he did. So it goes on to say, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So Abraham said, Here I am. How many times has he said that? And the angel said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Uh, The King James Version of the Bible, instead of using the Lord will provide, um, actually supplies a transliteration of the Hebrew, um, Jehovah Jireh. And uh, some of you might have read about the names of God. There, There are whole books that have been written on the names of God, and you can go online, you can, you can Google names of God, and you'll come up with a big list. And uh, a lot of people say that Jehovah Jireh is a name of God. Well, strictly speaking, that's actually incorrect because Abraham never gave God the name Jireh. He actually said the place where God provides. So Jehovah Jireh actually is a name that Abraham gave to a place, not a name that Abraham gave to God. Maybe it doesn't matter all that much, 
But um, I think if we want to be strictly correct, Jehovah Jireh is not a name of God. Jehovah Jireh is actually a place, Mount Moriah. It was uh, also in uh, early times called the Temple Mount. That's where Solomon is believed to have built his temple and uh, where the temple stood at the time of Jesus. Uh, does anyone know what that illustration... Oh, sorry, I'm pointing at the back wall. You can't see what's on the back wall. I should be pointing back here. Does anyone know what that is? I think it shouldn't be there. You think it shouldn't be there? Yeah, it shouldn't be there. You know what it is, don't you? Yeah, it's the Dome of the Rock. That's actually an Islamic mosque. And that, that's been built on the site where Abraham sacrificed his son. I actually think this is very, very significant for a whole lot of reasons. That won't be there forever. No. That won't be there forever. And uh, despite the fact that some people think it will be. But this here is the place where God provided for Abraham. Now, um, there are lots and lots of authors who have written about how this was actually a foretaste of, of Jesus. And you can obviously see the parallels there because Abraham was being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Isaac, of course, was truly his son. Um, Ishmael, of course, was a son not by Abraham's wife but by a slave girl. So Isaac had a special standing, at least in Abraham's eyes, because Abraham, uh, sorry, because Isaac was the son that God had promised. That's why he's sometimes referred to as Abraham's firstborn, even though Ishmael was actually older than Isaac. So yes, you can see in here a picture of the Christ who was to come. And Christ, of course, being the ram caught in the thicket by its horns that Abraham actually sacrificed in the end. That ram was a substitute sacrifice for Isaac in the same way that Jesus became a substitute sacrifice for us on behalf of our sin or because of our sin. But I actually want to look at this from a different perspective today and to consider the importance of the place where God provides. Now, I actually felt God wanting me to speak on this last Sunday. It was funny. It was towards the end of the service. It just dropped into my heart. And uh, usually it takes until about Wednesday or Thursday of each week after prayerful consideration before I have that confident sense in my heart that the discussion point is the one that God actually wants me to bring. But, but this happened towards the end of our time together last week. And I think looking back, the reason is that this ties in very closely with the discussion point of last week where we talked about God being the God of the new. Because in order for God to be the God of the new, we ourselves need to be in the place of God's provision. Now, Bible scholars, people who understand Hebrew a lot better than I do, argue that there are different ways in which that verse 14 can be interpreted. And a lot of it hinges on 
punctuation, which is pretty difficult to figure out in Hebrew because there was none. And uh, it also depends on how significant you think are some other verses in the Bible. So on the one hand, Genesis 14, uh, sorry, that should say Genesis 22, 14. That's not Genesis 14, 22, it's Genesis 22, 14. My apologies for that, I must be a little bit dyslexic early in the morning. <laughs> but we, we could translate it roughly as in the mount of Yahweh when he's seen, uh, which in everyday English actually means people visit the temple at pilgrimages, and God sees them doing so. Another interpretation, and the one that is usually uh, translated, although a lot of modern translations now have a note in the column beside it, another way of translating it, and the one which, as I said, is most common, is that Yahweh supplies the needs of those who come to worship him on Zion. Yahweh supplies the needs of those who come to worship him on Zion. So, what I want to suggest to you is that in order for God to do that new thing in our lives, we ourselves have to position or be positioned at the place or in the context where God provides. Now, the first part of that um, context is worship. That one way in which we could interpret or, or translate uh, verse 14 of chapter 22 in Genesis there is that Yahweh supplies the needs of those who come to worship him on Zion. Now, for, for New Testament Christians... Zion is not so much a place as an attitude of the heart. All right? Now, we're, we're not all going to go off to Mount Moriah and, uh, and, and praise the Lord there. We can do that from here. But the key is, do we have a heart that is a worshipful heart, a heart that is according God, right place in our lives? So do we... Give God the opportunity to fellowship with us every day. Remember way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they felt shame. And so when God came walking in the garden in the cool of the evening to converse with them, that is to have relationship with them, they hid from him. Are we hiding from God, perhaps through shame or a lack of self esteem or a lack of a sense of worth or are we actually giving him an opportunity to fellowship with us to be with us in other words are we taking a worshipful attitude and saying I'm here three or four times in that passage Abraham answered here I am so if God was to call to you today one, would you hear him? And two, would you say, here I am? That is, am I, at least figuratively speaking, on Zion 
with a heart of worship. It's interesting that God said to Abraham, go to the place that I will show you. And Abraham walked three days. There's probably significance in the three days because it was three days between Jesus' death and resurrection. But Abraham walks for three days until he sees the place. And then that's where he goes to build the altar upon which to sacrifice Isaac. Is God saying to you, I will show you a place? If he is, then you need to be in that place because that's the place of God's provision. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, sometimes we can be reluctant to make a change and we wonder why it is that we can't access the blessings that were made available to us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross who suffered so that we might not suffer, who was made poor so that we, we might be made rich. You know, it's interesting, as I was preparing my notes for today, I thought how often I've heard some of these scraps of scripture that people have built a doctrine around. You see, let me show you one. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard that scripture quoted, and, and I do believe it. But you see, no scripture operates in isolation from the whole of the message of the word of God. So I can say as many times as I want, and my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I can say that as many times as I want. But if I'm not in the place of God's provision, it will not happen no matter how many times I repeat the scripture. And I would have to say, I, I meet many, many, many disappointed Christians who spend much of their lives quoting a scripture here and a scripture there and a scripture somewhere else, but not really understanding that it comes with a context. Now, the particular context of that scripture in Philippians, it's uh, Paul writing. He's thanking people who have actually supplied his needs and of course he gives God the glory for that because it's God working through people who are willing to listen to him who became the source of Paul's supply on that occasion so one of the things that's implied by that is it only happens in the context of community but second if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22 we see it happens in the context of our relationship with God. I've said to you before that we mustn't develop a, a, a kind of supermarket idea about God's provision. Where in this great 
uh, sorry, in this great supermarket, we have our basket, which is all our needs and wants, and we just roll it through the aisles and fill up the basket because Jesus died so that we could do that. And then at the checkout, we just kind of pay homage and say, thank you, Lord, and off we go. What are you laughing at? Oh, you're, oh, are you on? <laughs> yeah. But you see, it can't happen unless we place ourselves into the right context. That is, unless we place ourselves in right relationship with God. I think it's really interesting that second translation there, Yahweh supplies the needs of those who come to worship him on Zion. Supplies is what we call present continuous tense. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off thing. It's interesting too that in the King James Version, where it uses that transliteration of the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, that the literal translation of Jehovah Jireh is God will provide. Not God has provided or God did provide once. It's God will provide. God will provide. Now in order for us to receive that provision, one, we've got to believe that he will provide, but two, we have to be in the Mount of Yahweh, where we are seen and acknowledged by God. And we're seen by God when we worship Him. And worshipping God is not something we just do every Sunday morning. It's not singing along to um, a playlist on Apple, iTunes. It's, it's not even live worship, that's part of it. But, you know, it's having a worshipful attitude in our hearts all the time, not just on Sunday. It's about placing ourselves in the shadow of his mighty wings. If you have a look at Psalm 91, it's a, a psalm that uh, Jeanette and I have read many, many times. It's a psalm which is often um, read by people who are looking for, for covering in dangerous times. But uh, what I would call a Psalm 91 Christian lives in the shadow of God's mighty wings. So when we come out of the shadow of his wings, we cannot expect his provision. So while it's a great thing to remember Philippians 4.19, and I, I, I recommend that we commit scriptures like these to memory because they become a great encouragement and sustainer in times that are tough. But it's not just that verse that brings God's provision. Wherever we are today, we're anticipating that God will do something new. I'm anticipating that God will do something new in my employment status sometime in, in early in this year. I'm anticipating that God will do some new things in and through Ignite Life Church, Gold Coast. But we have to go beyond that and place ourselves, as it were, 
on Mount Zion with a worshipful um, attitude in our hearts to receive his provision. And it's not actually God playing hard to get, it's us playing hard to get. If we're not there, if we don't have that worshipful attitude in our hearts, then we're the ones who are playing hard to get. If we're not living in the shadow of his mighty wings, as, as it were, as Psalm 91 Christians, we're the ones who are playing hard to get, not God playing hard to get. So as I mentioned already, last week we talked about how God makes all things new. He does that when we have an attitude of worship in all we do and when we are in the right place. And it might take some time to work that out. I, I had what I call a 28-year apprenticeship in government universities before I commenced my employment at Christian Heritage College. Now, I don't regret that time I spent in the public universities, I, I, I really loved my time as a university lecturer. I met a lot of wonderful people, lots of wonderful, wonderful Christians too, I might add. Not everybody who works for a government university um, is not a Christian. There are lots of wonderful Christian people working in universities and we need to pray for them because it can be pretty tough if you're a Christian in that environment. But when I look back, you know, I really came into that place of God's provision in 2009 when I started in my current employment. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go and work in a Christian organisation either. It just happens to be that that's where I am. But the 28 years before that were not wasted years either because God used those years to set me up perfectly for the current role that I undertake at Christian Heritage College. But I have peace now that I am in that place of provision, a peace that I didn't have, say, 20 years ago when I had a good job, a satisfying job, but didn't have that full sense of peace of being in the place of God's provision. So perhaps I can encourage you in this early part of 2018, don't worry too much about things like New Year's resolutions. Don't be concerned that within a couple of weeks I'm going to stand up the front and say, you know, God's given me this great vision for um, 2018 and you better fall behind it or otherwise, you know, you'll be in a lot of trouble and God will stop blessing you, etc., etc. I don't really see this year um, rolling out in that way and, and Jeanette and I of course we desire to see God blessing you guys in every area of your lives Amen. I believe though that um, what I was sharing last week about God being the God of the new was prophetic that God is actually going to do something new for us as a, as a body corporate as uh, Ignite Life Church Gold Coast. But for many of you, I know you desire to see God do something new 
in your lives this year. I believe God is saying, I am ready. Behold, I make all things new, says God. It's in his nature. His nature is to renew. And of course, we've had that reminder ourselves in the last week about God being the God of the new. See, Abraham was prophetic right back then, those thousands of years ago. He was prophetic. One, his act, his obedience, and his faith. That even if, it says this in Hebrews 11, even if he had sacrificed Isaac, he had faith that God would raise him back to life. That's what it says in Hebrews. So Abraham engaged in a prophetic act and when he declared the name of this place is Jehovah Jireh, my God will provide he completed one of the most important prophetic acts that's recorded in the word of God. When we come before God with a worshipful attitude in our hearts, he sees us. And in the Hebrew, seeing is far more than just recognising that somebody is there. Seeing means to recognise the person. So when Yahweh sees Jeanette as she worships him, it's much more than him recording her presence. He's acknowledging her. He's receiving her. He's affirming her. And that goes for every single one of us. And you know, all of us have stuffed up somewhere in our past, perhaps even in our only recent past, God doesn't care. When we come before him, when we worship him, he sees us. That was a prophetic word of Abraham. But he also supplies the needs of all of those not just back in Old Testament times, but he supplies the needs of all of those who come to him and who worship him on Mount Zion. Well, that's actually in our hearts today. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to a physical place to be in a physical temple in order to worship him. But apart from the prophetic act of of Jesus himself coming to earth and releasing us from the bondage of sin, Abraham's action on that day so long ago were prophetic. The place of provision is a reality for Christians today. Can I encourage